Congregation of the Dead, Part 22, Second Half. O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2. Proverbs 21.16. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. For the damned are so severely damned because they are unwilling to be damned. Martin Luther extrapolating from Romans 9.3. First, a couple minute review. 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love keeps on casting out fear. We can't keep on casting out fear that is not there. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Verse 19. We love him because he first loved us when he made us a new creation. The commands, fear, mercy, faith, grace, the promises, and experiential love cannot be untied from one another. Perfect love comes from casting out fear. But we cannot keep casting out fear that is not there. The commands continually put us at the feet of Jesus in fear and trembling. And Jesus keeps reaching down and picking us up as we by faith believe him and his love consequently is shed abroad in our hearts continually. Psalm 211. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Verse 12. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. In the following scriptures, we will see it is impossible to untie fear, mercy, and pity. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. Verse 9. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Notice it reads, so great is his mercy toward who? That is correct. 
Great is his mercy toward them that fear him. So if we desire for God to grant us great mercy, what should we pray for? That is correct. Let us pray that God would give us the gift of fear. For fear is the beginning of knowledge, and fear is tied directly to mercy. The more we fear him, the greater his mercy towards us. Also, let us remember that Christ's perfect love towards us keeps casting out fear. And as we experience that fear being cast out in his mercy, we experience his love, which is precisely how we want to come to the scriptures in this perfect love. So let us come to the scriptures very humbly, crying out for mercy, making us poor and needy and with a broken spirit and contrite heart experience his perfect love which is right where we want to be if we desire the holy spirit to teach us the scriptures yes the bible is not a geometry text or an english text written by man but it is a spiritual book written by the hand of man by god and therefore we cannot approach the word of god like we do a textbook but we must come humbly before the Bible with a broken spirit, a contrite heart, and in a state of repentance in order for the Holy Spirit to interpret it correctly for us. Only the spiritual can read the spiritual. It is as dark to the natural man follower of Christ as colors are to the natural blind man. Let us listen first to King David in Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Yes, for the Holy Spirit to teach us, we must be nigh to our Lord Jesus and King David, from experience, knows that that warmth and the love of our Lord, our Lord Jesus comes when we have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Fisherman John was a fisherman, not a theologian. He was a common man, like most of us are. Yet, let us listen to how confident he was in knowing that the anointing of the Spirit of Christ can teach us the meaning of the scriptures. Fisherman John tells it this way. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, that is Jesus, and ye know all things. 1 John 4, verse 13. Hereby know we. In other words, we are 100% confident that we dwell in Christ and Christ dwells in us. How do we know this? Because Christ 
hath given us his spirit. Verse 26, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Verse 27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Verse 28, And now, little children, Notice how Fisherman John calls his brethren little children. For it is at Jesus' feet in fear and trembling that we experience the love Christ has for us as he reaches down with his comforting hand, lifting us up and assuring us to fear not. Just as a child coming to the loving, loving arms of his mother where all his needs will be met. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that is in Jesus, in order that when he shall appear the second time, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Christ at his second coming. Verse 29. If ye know that he is righteous, ye also know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now back to Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Verse 13. Like as a father keeps on pitying his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Notice pity is attached to fear. Verse 14. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembereth that we are dust. But the question is, do we know we are dust. So we have learned that perfect love keeps on casting out fear. But there is no perfect love if there is no fear to keep casting out. And in our fear of him, not only do we experience perfect love, but we also find great mercy. And he pitieth us like a father pitieth his son. So we see that perfect love, fear, mercy, and pity cannot be untied from one another. And it is in this perfect love, which keeps casting out fear, that we find that broken heart and contrite spirit, knowing we are not living up to his high standard of holiness, and in this state of repentance, we feel the warmth of Jesus' loving arms 
lifting us up, saying unto us, Fear not, and feeling very, very nigh unto him. We are now spiritually prepared and spiritually hungry to hear from him in his word. And he is ready to feed our new creation the spiritual food of the word of God. And because we have an unction from the Holy One, that is Jesus, we know all things for the anointing which we have received of him keeps on abiding in us. And we need not any man teach us, but as the same anointing teaches us, teaches us of all things and is truth and is no lie and even as it hath taught us we shall abide in him the truth is we as true believers must never forget that it is in that broken heart and contrite spirit that we are nigh unto our Lord Jesus and experience the warmth of his perfect loving arms wrapped around us saying fear not for because he is a just God his wrath, wrath must be subdued in mercy as we by faith declare the righteousness of Jesus Christ which is his robe of righteous, righteousness shielding us from his wrath. For the moral law has been perfectly fulfilled by Christ as a gift to us. Now, former Mr. Former Mr. Morality totally gets this, for he was a fervent law follower, but to no avail as a natural man theologian. But now, as a new creation, he is very excited about telling everybody about the wonder of the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to him as a gift when he finally came to realize how vile he was, even as a moralist. He now, as a new creation, knows how wretched he is and how undeserving he is of the gift of Jesus' gift, that is, the fulfillment of the moral law for him, which is called Christ's gift of righteousness. And he cries out a rhetorical question. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he knows full well who is delivering him. From this body of death it is Jesus and now knowing perfect peace with God he writes the following to his Roman brethren Romans chapter 5 verse 8 but God commendeth that's that is keeps on commending his love towards us in that while we were sinners Christ died for us the first half of what Christ did for us. Verse 9, the second half of what he did for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved 
from wrath through him. That is, through his perfect fulfillment of the law for us, shielding us from his father's wrath. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense, that is Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, that is Jesus Christ. Verse 18, therefore, as by the offense of one, that is Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, that is Jesus, the free gift of righteousness came upon all men unto the justification of life. So this righteousness of God as a gift to us is a big deal. For it shields us from the wrath of our Father in heaven because it makes us holy in his sight. For in his world, holiness is the only thing that is acceptable. For anything less is sin. Christ's imputed righteousness to us makes us holy in his sight. But we must never take the righteousness of Jesus Christ for granted. For we in no way, shape, or form deserve it. For our heart as believers is just as evil as the greatest scumbag on this earth or the greatest moralist on this earth. So let us always come to our Lord knowing we are falling short of the glory of God. For we all, as believers, sin. And yet, Jesus not only demands, but he commands us to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus exhorts us in Matthew 5, verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect. He does not say endeavor to be perfect, but he says, be ye perfect. Again, Matthew 5, verse 48. I, Jesus, command you, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. This is not rocket science. Jesus actually means perfect. And yet the theologians today twist this to be endeavor to be perfect in order to fit it into their free will narrative. Even fisherman Peter, who was not a theologian, but a fisherman, a common man, just like most of us, just like fisherman John, knew that perfect meant perfect. For he exhorts his brethren and us to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. Now to the scripture. Fisherman Peter commands us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That is lifestyle. And why does he exhort us to be holy? 
because God commands us to be holy. Verse 16, for it is written in the Old Testament, be ye holy, for I, God, am holy. Because our loving Father is a just God, and he therefore enforces his law to the uttermost, we take these commands very, very seriously. And it breaks our heart that we are not living up to his high standard of holiness. And so what do we do? We run to the mercy seat and by faith, via grace, he comforts us. And his perfect experiential love casts out all fear. And we declare with all our might in tears of joy, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yes, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we have been declared innocent in our Father's courtroom in heaven, set free from the second eternal death of our souls at Jesus' second coming, not as our Savior, but as our judge. That beautiful white robe, that linen wedding garment, known as our robe of righteousness, is our protection from our Father's wrath from heaven. As we cry, O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2. Theologian Paul, with much exhilaration, proclaims the following to his brethren in Rome. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all the ones being freely justified, the true believers, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24. The true believers being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Verse 25 whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, a mercy seat, that is, we run to the mercy seat through faith in his blood. That is, faith that he took on hell for us in our stead. To declare his righteousness, that is, that he fulfilled the moral law for us, for the remission of sins that are past, because he went to jail for our criminality and at the same time took on our exam. That is, our exam of perfect obedience for us and passed with 100%. Therefore, he is able to remit or erase or cancel our debt. All our sins, law-breaking, past and future through the forbearance of God. Verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him, which keeps on believing in Jesus. Verse 27, where is the boasting then? It is excluded. To attempt to be holy by following the law, it would take everything we have, would it not? And yet all of us know innately 
that we would never achieve the demanded holiness. That is, when we give it everything we have to be holy by following the law partially, because we will never be able to follow the law perfectly, it takes a lot of hard work. Because the harder we try through the law to be more holy, the more sin we see. Just as an Olympic champion sees more and more little imperfections in his quest for perfection. Following the law with all our might is exhausting. And if we could achieve holiness, which we can't, we could boast much for our accomplishment. But there is no boasting in achieving perfection through the gift of righteousness. For all our self-righteousness or our ability to follow the law partially must perish as we fall down at the feet of Jesus crying out for mercy, as we feel the comforting hand of Jesus tapping us on the shoulder saying, I got you covered. I fulfilled the moral law for you. Just believe me and let me give you a hand up and stop trembling. Fear not. My father's wrath is subdued. Are we going to take glory for this and boast or are we going to give Christ all the glory? Former Mr. Morality knows all about Jesus choosing him for he knows without a doubt <clears throat> that he is that he did not choose Jesus. As a Pharisee, he helped lead the charge to have the rebel rouser Christ crucified and was convinced he was dead. But one day, as he was on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians, Jesus spoke to him from the air, and he was unexpectedly made a new creation by Christ. Jesus chose him in his abject foolishness. And so when he writes to his brethren in Corinth, he can personally relate to what he is writing. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And the Apostle Paul would have been one of the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Verse 28. And base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. This verse demolishes the doctrine of free will. For the free willers must cooperate with God in at least a minute part of their salvation, thus must take part of the glory in his presence. But no flesh should glory in his presence. As we conclude, let us remember, O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy, Habakkuk 3.2, and the damned are so severely damned because they are un willing to be damned. Martin Luther extrapolating from Romans 9, 3.
to be continued. Until next time, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.